Well, once again, good morning. We are so glad that you're here with us this morning. If you're joining us online, welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I have to tell you guys, man, I love Jesus and I love our church. Uh, I don't know why I feel the need to state that, but I just do. And every time I get to come up here on a Sunday morning and do this, I'm excited to be in this position, and I'm honored uh, to be your pastor, and I am excited for what God's going to do today. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 19 through 37, and uh, if, if you kind of a quick review of, of last week, in Daniel chapter 4, after the fiery furnace and Neb's decree that all should follow the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Neb has another dream. And and when I say Neb, understand I'm talking about Nebuchadnezzar, but that's way too many syllables to continue to say that name. So um, Neb has this dream, and uh, in this dream, Neb sees this big, beautiful tree, which provides abundant fruit, shade, and shelter. I mean, this thing is magnificent in splendor and uh, just provides for all that are in its shadow. And... uh, It starts out great, but then this holy one, as he refers to it, comes down from heaven and the tree is chopped down. The tree is chopped down. Uh, But the stump, it remains and the roots, they're left behind. And there's this change in the tree and it almost morphs. And then we're told that it goes from having a mind of a man to a beast, right? And it it, it must uh, be in the fields and live as a beast would, eating of the grass and, and, and... uh, as you might, and as I most likely would, Neb wants to know what it all means. And so luckily for him, he's got a pretty good interpreter of dreams on the payroll. He calls Daniel. And uh, this time, if you remember early in our series, we talked about a dream that Neb had, and he didn't even want to tell anybody the dream. His, he was like, you come, you tell me the dream, and then you tell me what it means, right? And Daniel was able to do that. And so he was able to test Daniel, and Daniel came through. And so this time, he kind of skips that step because he really wants the interpretation, and he just tells him the whole dream. He tells him the whole dream. And when he tells him the dream, showing us that uh, he learned just a little bit, uh, Daniel, Daniel's uncomfortable, to say the least. Daniel knows this guy's track record. He is um, not a huge fan of how he handles situations when he gets angry. People get tossed into fiery furnaces and lose their life. And uh, Daniel is a little apprehensive to deliver the message. And Neb actually uh, offers him some comfort and, and says, hey, don't be alarmed by the message. Just tell me the truth. I just want to know the truth. And we get in verse 19, it says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered, Belshazzar, let not the dream of the interpretation alarm you. Now, we haven't yet learned a a lesson from Nebuchadnezzar, but alas, there is a season for everything. When we want the truth of God and we desire others to be honest with us with the expressed and written purpose of accountability, Okay, with the expressed and written purpose of accountability, we must provide others with the confidence that their honesty will not be met with hostility. Okay, if we truly want that, if we truly crave correction, and make no doubt about it, spiritual maturity craves correction. It wants to be on the righteous side of all issues. Okay, it, it, it craves to be corrected. But if we want that, 
we have to provide others with the confidence that when they give that to us, we are not going to throw them in a fiery furnace, right? We are not going to chop their heads off. We are going to be open and respectful, and we are going to hear what they have to say, and we are going to seek to find the truth in their words if any truth is available, right? Spiritual maturity craves correction. And it's not very long, actually, in the same verse that we learn another valuable lesson. And this time, it comes from Daniel, a.k.a. Belshazzar. When he states, okay, and then in the, fa- the remainder of the verse, it says, Belshazzar answered him and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Now, Daniel fully is aware that the dream was not meant for those that hate him. And he was also aware that the dream was not meant for his enemies. It's pretty clear, as Daniel will soon explain, that this dream was speaking directly to Nebuchadnezzar, but he delivers the bad news with a little bit of sugar, right? Before he's open and honest and delivers the message that he has been asked to deliver, he first says, hey, just so you know, I don't want this message to be for you. I hope it's for those that hate you, and I hope it's for your enemies. What do we learn from this? Here's what. We can deliver hard truths in a way that lends itself to compassion. We can deliver hard truths in a way that lends itself to compassion. If you notice, okay, with Daniel, he's very strong in his convictions. We've seen it all throughout the book so far. He is unwavering. Okay, he is going to choose the righteous choice. He's going to be truthful. He's going to be honest. And that is what we as Christians are called to be with the world around us. We are to be truthful. We are to be honest. We are to be firm in our convictions. We are supposed to stand on the foundation of Scripture and the righteousness of God. And we are supposed to point people away from their sins to a righteous and loving and forgiving God. That is what we are supposed to do but we don't have to be jerks about it, okay? We don't have to make posters. We don't have to stand on the street corner. We don't have to damn everyone we come across and say, you're destined for hell, right? We can deliver hard truths with compassion. We can be loving. We can be genuine. We can wish the message to not be for them and be for their enemies and still deliver truth. Daniel delivers his message really in a compliment sandwich, right? You guys have all heard that you start with a compliment, you deliver the bad news, and then you end with something positive, right? That's the way they teach you to do it. That's, that's the best way to kind of deliver this news. He's a man of wisdom and discernment. We've already talked about that 10 times more than all the people that were employed in Nebuchadnezzar's original group of advisors. And so he tactfully delivers some good news first. In verse 20, he says, that tree which you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. So that's the good news, right? That's kind of the opening compliment. 
Then he delivers some hard truths. In verse 23 through 25, Daniel explains to Neb uh, that he would be removed from his kingdom. And he tells him uh, for seven time periods, basically, is the wording he used. But really what it means is for seven years. For seven years, he would live in the wilderness like a beast of the field. But like most of the prophecy that God delivers through his chosen people, it's not necessarily set in stone. It's a warning of what is going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar if he doesn't change his ways, if he doesn't turn away from his pride and from his stance of him being the ultimate authority in the world. Daniel goes on to say, but after that seven years, you'll actually find restoration. You can be restored again. It's why when the tree is cut down, the stump and the roots remain, because there is an opportunity for growth to occur once again. If he would only leave his pride behind and submit to God's authority. And then Daniel continues in 26, he says, And as it was commanded to leave the stumps of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. So Daniel's basically saying, hey, once you kind of figure this all out again, once you correct your wicked ways, once you turn from the wrong path and go the right way, once you recognize God as your authority, then from that time that you recognize that heaven rules, you shall be confirmed again. You shall be restored. And then Daniel says this in verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. You can avoid the punishment that is coming your way by repenting. You can avoid the punishment that is destined for you if you will just turn from your evil, wicked ways, accept God's authority, practice righteousness, stop sinning, and show mercy to the oppressed. Well, Nebuchadnezzar not so good at those things, right? Not so good at those things. Part of repentance for all of us is recognizing God's authority, is saying your way is better than mine, is saying that I know your way is better than mine, and yet I still chose not to go your way. Evidence of the recognition that we finally and fully understand that can be seen in righteous decision-making and actions, right? That is true evidence We can all day long claim to be a Christian. We can all day long claim to be righteous. We can all day long say we are following God's will for our life. But the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. It is in how we actually live and in how we actually treat others and how we actually exist on a day-to-day basis. And by showing mercy to the oppressed and by making righteous decisions, which we just said, neither one a strong suit. Of Nebuchadnezzar. Not only can he lengthen his prosperity, but maybe, just maybe, can he avoid the punishment altogether. God's judgment can be 
averted by repentance. God's judgment can be averted by repentance. It is why we call people to be born again, to turn from their sin, to repent of their wrongdoing, and to choose God's righteousness as the guiding force for their life, because repentance is the key to avoiding God's judgment. And all of us, until we repent, are destined for that judgment. Nebuchadnezzar, no different. Nebuchadnezzar, no different. And again, part of that repentance is recognizing God's authority. So in verse 28, um, we're going to find out pretty quickly, and I'm sure none of you are surprised, that Nebuchadnezzar fails. He fails pretty magnificently. It says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. I just tried to put palace and Babylon together. That would be a word, palabon, palababylon. Right? He's walking on the roof of royal, the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, he's looking out, right? Picture this. He's looking out and he says, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty hand? I'm imagining he's flexing. It's somewhat like, you know, by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. And it says, while the words were still in the king's mouth, he hadn't even finished the sentence. There fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time, translated literally to seven years, shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will." Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle feathers, and his nails, gross, were like bird claws. Okay? That's nasty, by the way. Y'all need to trim your fingers and trim your toes, okay? Especially if you're flip-flop or slides wearers. We don't want to see those bad boys digging into the earth. But that's where Nebuchadnezzar was, okay? That's where he was. He's foraging. He's using the badger claws. He's eating grass. He's doing whatever it takes to survive for seven years. He's there. Change doesn't happen overnight, and God doesn't expect it to. Why do I say that? Because Nebuchadnezzar had 12 months. He had 12 months. He had a year. He had a year to avert this judgment. He had a year to not have to go through this. 12 months to listen to a man who had proven over and over and over again to him to be wise. 12 months to listen to a God that had proven over and over and over again to be the true and living God. 12 months to recognize God as the authority in his kingdom. Too many of us are testing God's time limits. Too many of us are testing God's time limits. We'll fix it, just not today. We'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow comes, ah, next week. This isn't working out for me. I just can't find the time. I just can't get it corrected. I'll do it later. I'll listen later. I'll listen later. 
And eventually, eventually, judgment comes our way. It comes our way. We can't continuously live in sin and choose sin and not choose God and expect nothing to happen to us. We just can't. And it's not a comfortable feeling to think that some of the things that happen in our life are a punishment for our wrongdoings, but there are natural consequences that take place in our world. And sin is what brings those consequences on. I'm going to change, but just not yet. Stop testing God's time limits. He's calling you to righteousness right here, right now, in this moment, today. If no one's told you that before, you know now your clock has started. Stop pushing God away. Stop testing his time limits. But here, even in this, is the greatness and the mercy of our God. It's the part of God that all of us fail to comprehend. Because even when we push the limits, even when we fail, even when that takes place, restoration is never off the table. It's never off the table. Even when we fail, restoration is never off the table. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you can repent of your sin. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you can experience salvation. It's never too late. The opportunity to turn things around is present. For Nebuchadnezzar, it took 12, seven years. Sorry, I don't know why 12 is in my head. It took seven years of being an absolute animal, right? For him to recognize the magnificence, the control, and the authority that God has in this world. Verse 34 starts, it says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me. And I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He said as they were filing his nails. <laughs> you want humility. God can and will provide humility. Now, I've told this story before, but most of you know that I have severe back issues. I broke my back playing football my senior year of high school. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I was Nebuchadnezzar. I was walking around in my own majesty that I guarantee you others did not see quite like I saw. 
And I thought that I was God's gift to the world. Look at how awesome I am. And God was not first. In fact, if I'm being frank with you at that time in my life, God was last. And there were times where I had others call me on the stuff that I was doing. There were times when I had others call me to repentance. There were times where people pointed out my sin and tried to bring about correction, and I didn't listen. I didn't listen. And so I broke my back. And some of you will say, you think God broke your back? And I will tell you, yes, God broke my back. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Because God got my attention. And I turned from my wicked ways. Now, it, my mama will tell you, it took some time. I didn't handle the disappointment real well. I was pretty embarrassing to be around. Not exactly a son to be proud of. It took some time. It took some come to meet Jesus meetings with Jesus and to come to come to Jesus meetings with her. <laughs> but we got it ironed out. We got it ironed out. And there are days where I'm in the position of the beast of the field when I get out of bed because there are times where I crawl before I can walk legitimately. And it hurts and it stinks. And I don't like it. And still, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. It made me swallow my pride. It made me take into account what was actually important in my life. I had to be driven out from my kingdom in order to see it. My hope is that that's not what has to happen to you or those that you love because you can be called to repentance and you can call them to repentance and they will swallow their pride and they will turn from their sinful ways and they will choose righteousness. If you haven't already done it, today's the day to swallow your pride. Today's the day to admit that you're not in control. Today is the day to admit that God is the deserving authority of your life. Today is the day to recognize that your blessings have and will continue to come through him. Don't get talon toenails before you realize what God is trying to do in your life. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now and I thank you for this day. I thank you for this message that we find in Scripture. I thank you for Daniel's example. I thank you for Nebuchadnezzar's example. God, as we read this story and we, we, we go through this bit of Scripture, we can look at Nebuchadnezzar and it's easy to say, man, what a clown. What, what a joke. I can't believe that he couldn't figure it out. But God, if we were able to be honest with ourselves and look in a mirror, many of us 
maybe the majority of us, look more like Nebuchadnezzar than we do Daniel. And that's not the desired outcome. That's not what we want. God, we, we want to be people who exemplify the character of God the Father and Christ the Son. We want to be like Daniel. We want to be righteous. We want to be kind, caring, and compassionate. We want to stand on the foundation built in who you are and in your righteousness while we deliver hard truths with love and mercy. And at the end of the day, God, you are a God who is so many things. But love and mercy are such a huge part of who you are. And you love us. And mercy will be shown to us if we will only repent of our wrongdoing, turn from our wickedness, and strive for righteousness. Today, God, I ask for conviction for myself and for each and every individual that's here right now in this moment, that you would help us to identify the things that we have placed before you in our own pride as we seek to be our own authority. Help us identify those things, God, that need to be thrown to the wayside, that need to take a back burner to you. We ask these things. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. You'll stand with us now. We're going to continue our service by worshiping here today. If you need somebody to pray with, I would ask that you come pray with me. I would be honored to pray with you. If you'd like to use our stage as an altar, come, pray, be an encouragement to others. If you need to talk about salvation and what it means to really turn yourself over to a new authority, that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. I would love to have that discussion with you. Otherwise, let's stand, let's worship, let's give God an offering of praise that He is worthy of and that He deserves.